Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, Podcast World, welcome to another edition of your favorite podcast, I'm sure, of course. FNO InsureTech. Yes. Yay. 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 We're back for another episode to enthrall you while you work out, walk, run, sleep. <laughs> Am I forgetting anything? No, I think that's right. I often tell people the best time to listen is when you can't sleep, listen to the podcast, it might put you to sleep. Uh, uh-huh. Which is no um, knock on our guests, who no, are all very interesting. Yes, it's it's strictly on us. Strictly it's strictly a knock on us that we will put you to sleep. But isn't it, isn't it interesting how so many of our podcasts are really insightful? I, I've had more people who have said, hey, I listened to the podcast and I really enjoyed listening to, to so-and-so. They were they, they really helped me yeah. in, in a problem I was dealing with or they helped take me to the next level or made me think bigger. Isn't that well, interesting? Yeah. Well, like with any interview podcast, okay, let's be fully transparent here. Yeah. You you look at the guest and you say, oh, that one interests me. I'll listen to this one. Right. Or that one, uh, not so much. I won't listen. Right. Yeah. I, I do that every day when I'm thinking what podcast I'm going to listen to. Right. And so. Subject or guest. Subject or guest. The thing that hits you most closely um, is, uh, is, is the one that you tend to listen to. Right. 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 And um, and and so, t- in fact, today's this is funny that you bring this up, Lee. Well, I'm, hysterically I'm a funny. funny guy. I'm a funny you, guy. We, we all say that about you. I but often get usually, laughed at. Usually, only when you're not in the room. That that is correct. I believe um, that. Uh, today we have an episode. Um, that is particularly interesting because we have on a guest that we had on over four years ago. Yeah. Now, when you think about what was different four years ago than today? Everything. So much. I was in an office four years ago. I'm not in an office today. There you go. There was uh, people would walk around um, and not even wonder about, am I going to catch something that could kill me? The word COVID, nobody even knew the word COVID. Pandemic was not in our vocabulary. Right. It was in work the history from, section. Work, like you said, work from home. Um, mm-hmm. On and on and on. DoorDash. Oh, yeah. All different. So you, so we're now old enough where we can have on guests who we've had on long ago and get a really interesting perspective of time. And that's the case today with our guest, Sean Harper, co-founder and CEO, still CEO at Kin. Yeah, we're we're blessed to have Sean on today. He is a exciting guy. He is a founder. Uh, he's a tech guy in the insurance space. We like to think that he's a insurance guy now. And yeah. and he's going to come on and he's going to talk about what's changed in the past 4 years, but really what Kin has been up to all along, how their model is has progressed and and the good, bad, the ugly. He's going to come on and talk about it. Yeah, he's um, he's a tech guy. Yeah, found his way into insurance, but 
I, I don't care what Sean says. Now we're going to call him an insurance guy. He's an insurance guy. He's an insurance guy. And they've had quite a journey. And they've come along on the path that, that many have tried to walk. And yes. that's, to, that's to be a D to C insurance play, property insurance. Many started that way. Many have pivoted, uh, but not Ken. They found success there. And um, so lots to talk about, lots to unpack. And I'm sure you will enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed made it, making it. Do you, do you think that's true? Do you think that they'll enjoy I it? enjoyed this one. It? I enjoyed listening to this one. But I, I do. I think our listeners are going to enjoy it. But I really enjoyed it. Okay. Well, if you're still here, don't hang up now. Here's our interview the second time with our friend and CEO of Kin. Sean Harper. Hey, everybody. We're here with our guest, a repeater. That's right. He's been here before. It was like four years ago, Sean. Wow. Four years ago. Welcome back. Thank you. Seems like forever ago, like a lifetime ago, but also like yesterday. Yeah, we, we feel much the same way. In fact, we were saying before we started with you today that we're like in our fifth year of doing this podcast, which is like how, how did that happen? So as we know, insurance years and, and regular years are not the same thing. <laughs> and that's kind of what we wanted to talk with you about. First of all, let me introduce you. We're here with Sean Harper, co-founder and CEO of Kin. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. You are, uh, you're in Chicago. You have a t-shirt on. It must be a nice day in Chicago, spring day. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's like it's like forty five degrees out, so it's nice and warm. Oh, it's a nice Chicago day. Yeah, it's one bit. thing I learned about Chicago people is that when it's forty five, they could be in short sleeves. You got it. That's absolutely. Right. Before we kind of jump into catching up over the past several years, let's kind of level set on what Kin is today, and maybe we can do some comparing and contrasting as we go. So I'll let you do that. Yeah. Uh, so Kin now has been in business for six and a half years and we do homeowners insurance. Uh, we're a tech company and we make use of the technology we've developed by providing homeowners insurance directly to consumers. So, you know, homeowners insurance obviously has been around for a long time. It's a huge industry, you know, it grew from about a hundred billion market when we started to over 130 billion now. Wow. The two wow. things that Ken does differently are, you know, the first is a business model innovation. And that is that we go direct to the consumers. So we're bypassing the traditional channel. That gives us some really big advantages in the longevity and durability of the customer relationship, as well as our ability to select risk and get exactly the right customers we want. It also saves us a lot of money because the channel actually is the largest cost structure aside from claims for most insurance companies. So that's the business model innovation. And then the tech innovation is we are the best at programmatically understanding the physical properties of a building and figuring out which buildings are going to be more likely to sustain damage when exposed to a particular type of weather. That's really important for homeowners. One of the things that makes homeowners really difficult 
is the homes themselves are so idiosyncratic. Like you and I could be next door neighbors, get hit by the same weather, have a completely different outcome. It's because our houses are built totally differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's what we're up to. Uh, you know, it's working pretty well. Uh, we have really uh, positive customer reviews. Great. A high customer retention rate that, you know, a dollar's basis is above, above 100%, well above 100%. Congratulations. That's a testimony right there. Yeah. So people are sticking with us. They're largely happy with what we're doing. It's, uh, and we're still growing fast. You know, we did approximately $230 million of premiums last year. We expect wow. it will grow about 60% this year. Yeah. And and you did it in a relatively small PIF footprint, right? Lots of penetration in a few places. That's exactly right. So, you know, as a direct-to-consumer business, it actually really benefits our, us to focus our efforts on a smaller... Because one of the weird things about insurance is each state can be very different from the next state over, right? The the built the housing stock is different. The Absolutely. laws are different. The customer preferences are different. You know, the the weather they are exposed to is different. Demographics. The, yeah, absolutely. And so we've always really wanted to just, you know, let's do one state. Let's go really deep on it. Then we'll go to the next state. Then we'll go to the next state. It helps us um, on the marketing side because we get more brand recognition and more referrals the longer we're there and the larger our installed base is. It also helps us a lot on the price and underwriting side because we have a lot more data. You know, because the data from one state isn't necessarily applicable to another mm-hmm. state. So sure. we really end up doing a lot of our analysis on a state by state basis. So, yeah, we're, you know, we for a long time, we were only in one state. You know, now now we're in five and, uh, you know, we're That's launching them sort of like, you know, steady as she goes, you know, uh, uh, very systematically, pretty slowly just launching, you know, one state and then another and then another. Yeah, you give you give us a lot to unpack there. Most historically, underwriting would say you can't do that, right? You you wouldn't put all of your eggs in one basket, all your policies in one state. But the way that you do that is is how? Yeah. So first, uh, you you really need to make sure that you're doing that state really really well, and then you know effectively we're outsourcing the diversification part of you know the value chain we're paying reinsurers to do that for us and so we mm-hmm. have now 60 reinsurance counterparties approximately oh my so 40 in the traditional market and then we've actually issued two catastrophe bonds one this year and one last year right we have another roughly 20 counterparties between those two bonds and so those is that normal i mean is that is that pretty normal for the industry I think I think it's high, okay, but not not totally abnormal. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly we we certainly don't trade with every reinsurer, um, but sixty is a pretty good segment to the market. Sure, yeah, and uh, and you know that's that's because you know the risk that we have is concentrated, right? So you you either spread that out on our own balance sheet, which we're not able to do because we're we're not that well diversified, or we spread it across a lot of counterparties. Um, they, they themselves have diversified balance sheets. And I, and, and I love that, that you've done that because I mean, we should in fact start by saying, you know, you're a, you're an, in the world of insure tech, you're an old insure tech, 
right? Six and a half years. You're like the grandfather of insurtechs and you're still here through an enormous hurricane. And so, yeah, a few of them actually, because let's not forget right. what happened a couple summers ago in Louisiana, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We've been, we've been hit by a lot of, you know, big events. And uh, so your model works. I mean, I don't know what your bottom line looks like, but it works, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's fair to say, you know, it's, it, it's actually, you know, Hurricane Ian is, it was a, was a very big storm. It hit the West coast of Florida, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it was very positive for us because it allowed us to show off some of the cool technology that we had built for the claims mm-hmm. situation, which we had never really had a good test of before. And then the other was for sort of like an investor perspective. We have outside VCs. Um, this is not a cheap business to build. The big question we always got was, well, hey, what about when the big one hits? And we had answers, right? We're like, oh, we have reinsurance and our portfolio is diversified and we have all this really good claims technology, but it's all kind of theoretical. And now we actually got hit by one. And it's like, oh, look, we're, we're still here. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, after all the reinsurance and our, you know, sort of claims that are our ability to outperform on the claim side, after everything is said and done, we're actually in a good position on a relative basis mm-hmm. uh, compared to our competition. And we sort of took a leap forward during that. So it's, it's just a much easier answer, right? To, versus trying to explain a theoretical thing to an investor to say, you know, say, oh, no, this happened last year. It was fine. You know, it was an operational event. We had to work hard, you know, yeah. to satisfy the customers, but it wasn't like, a, you know, the kind of thing that would cause us to go out of business or anything. And, and you've done it while holding on to one of the original ideas of, you know, InsureTech 1.0, if you will. I think you're that old. I think we can call you a 1.0 company. Is that you're going to go direct to consumer? Yes. That was the idea. That was where the whole, this massive disruption was going to come from, right? Was that we're skipping the agent and going straight to the consumer. So, but you've been able to figure that out. We have. Yeah. I still think that's the biggest opportunity in the space. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're not playing for that prize, um, you're not actually playing the right game. And, And the reason why is, you know, if you sell through, the tradition, if you're not innovating on the business model, right? If you're only innovating on the execution or the technology or the underwriting, the good case scenario for you is that you end up with a, with an income statement that looks like those of the legacy competitors. That's the good case scenario. So, right. If I did my business and I was selling through agents, I was doing things sort of the traditional way, but with more tech mm-hmm. say, okay, cool. At the end of the day, if I succeed, I'll look like travelers. Yeah. But that's not a foregone conclusion because actually Travelers is pretty darn good at their business. They have a lot of data and they have a lot of capital. Mm-hmm. So if I succeed, then I end up with this 5% margin business. That's not good. <laughs> like, that's, not, that's not what anyone really wants to play for. You know, for us, then we look at the distribution, right? If you look at the insurance distributors in Aon or a Marsh or Brown and Brown or whoever, that's actually a much higher margin business, right? Those are actually 50% margin businesses almost. Um, 40% even on margins. And so if you're not playing for that prize, I actually think you're really, it's hard to paint the picture of like building a business that has really high margins, a sustainable advantage. So yeah, I I was always like, I understood why people were doing it, pivoting away from direct to consumer. You saw Hippo do it. You saw Root do it. Most companies are pivoting, you feel like. It's expedient. 
right? Because yeah. if you sell through the traditional channel, uh, the existing channel, especially if you're able to, if you're willing to underprice, right, you can get a lot of business really quickly. Right. And you know, we definitely had a lot of folks look at us and say, "Well, wait, why aren't you growing as fast as those other guys?" Uh-huh. So, well, I might be wrong, but I think that's kind of like a hot money way to go. Mm-hmm. And the second that that you know you, they have to price at an actuarially sound level or whatever, maybe those customers aren't there anymore because they don't actually own the customer; the agent owns the customer. Right. And you know, one thing that I just think is really tr- you know, true in this is if you look at the value chain, the distributors get paid the most. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they get paid the most is because they're in control of the scarcest asset. The and the scarcest asset is the customer. Right. Yeah. Right. So listening to all this, it kind of makes me think about how insurtechs have changed from, say, 2016, 2019 to today and how it was really looked at maybe 2016, 2019 sell policies, sell policies, sell policies, get them out there. And today it's more about, you know, making a profit and and putting money on the bottom line. Is that something you agree? Is that just what I'm seeing or is that really what's going on? Because to you, it looks like you were always about, let's make sure we insure the right asset and it'll pay off in the long run. Is that, I mean, am I thinking about that right? Yeah, I think there's two things going on. So the first is, are you truthfully, honestly pricing at a positive margin level, right? And you saw a lot of folks who weren't, right? Okay. And, and sometimes that was intentional, right? It's not crazy to think that maybe you'll just underprice as a means of growing, right? Completely rationally, because you know the price elasticity on the renewal might be lower than on the new business. But I think a lot of people were actually doing it by mistake, Mm-hmm. Or maybe they knew internally that they were doing that. And to the external world, to the investors or whomever, they weren't being really honest about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was part of it is, you know, folks were just folks were chasing growth at all costs. Mm-hmm. And I actually think you see that disproportionately in the guys that went public earlier. Mm-hmm. And so like the other night I was having dinner with all these public market investors and they're like, oh, yeah, insure tech, like whatever. It was like, well, guys, what you don't understand is you're seeing a subset of the companies. You're only seeing the subset that was so optimized for growing fast and nothing else that that's what you saw. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's there because they're the only ones that made it. The rest of us, you know, aren't public because it took us a longer time because we were doing things in a more sustainable way. The other thing that happened was there were macro forces that got really complicated. And one is, you know, I was actually just looking at all states uh, income statement just now. And in 2019, they made like $17 a share. And then in 2021, they lost money per share. In 2022, they're going to make like a dollar per share. Okay. Wow. Well, something was going on there, right? <laughs> like the whole market had pretty bad years of earnings, right? So maybe even if you were planning on pricing at a sustainable level, Maybe you just had a had a shock, right? Because there were some bad years in a row for weather, or legal reasons, or, or or inflation, or whatever. And I think the third thing that's going on is the sources of capital, right? Capital just became a lot more expensive, and that's true of equity capital and debt capital, and also reinsurance capital. It's so much more expensive now that you actually don't have a choice, right? So we went from a world where the external capital providers were valuing 
growth at all costs to now they're valuing profitability at all costs. It's almost 180 degree shift. Complete change. Must have given you a neck ache. It did a little bit less than some others, right? Because we were not fully on the growth at all costs, right? But we were definitely actually asking ourselves like, hey, are we being dumb here by being so, you know, careful? Yeah. <laughs> These other guys are, are like, you know, have, having a lot of success, you know, really just growing. So it's a little bit less of a whiplash for us, I think, than for many other companies, but still whiplash. You know, when, when the outside world changes that fast, you know, all you can do is change yourself, right? And respond, right? No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I don't, you don't. But we can stack the deck in our favor by making sure we respond to the change faster. It's still really disruptive. And this is one of the interesting things about time, right? And like you have these 100-year-old insurance companies. I think that one of the things that the insure tech world has figured out is they're slow and they're methodical and they're risk adverse. But you want to know what? Over time, they make money. And over time, they stay open. And over time, they underwrite reasonably. You know, it's not an it's not an accident that they're still here. Right? It it seemed like the disruptive opportunity was so immense and intense and it, it may still be. But it's not because the incumbents don't know what they're doing. I 100% agree. I think there's two things going on. So first, the incumbents are smarter than they look. And it's really arrogant, right? Like, like with us, we're doing some things that are pretty different than the, than the existing business model, but it's really, really arrogant to say, look, I'm going to do exactly the same business model as those guys, but I'm going to out execute them because I'm a startup and I'm the smartest guy in the room. Like, guess like that's just not right. Like there are so many smart people at these big companies. So that's one thing. But the second is, you know, insurance is a uniquely difficult business to enter. There are lots of structural barriers to entry to being an insurance company. There are also a lot of structural barriers to entry in selling technology to insurance companies. Yeah. Those are both really, really hard tasks, much harder than they are in other industries for a variety of reasons. And so I, I think that that, you know, it, it's great when you get there, right? Like, oh, you're in a protected industry. You're part of an oligopoly of just, you know, less than 100 companies, you know, in the whole country that are doing this. But it's really, really hard on the newcomers. Um, and we almost died, you know, even though I think we're a very capable team, we had good investors, whatever. We almost died a few times. Yeah. And it wasn't because we didn't have the right tech. It wasn't because we didn't know what the customer wanted. It was because the, the, you know, just getting over the hump of becoming an insurance company and dealing with the capital, dealing with the regulatory, all of that stuff is really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, with that, Ken, Ken, even as recent as last month, announced another, um, another raise of capital in the Series D. And it seems like we've been hearing about Ken raising money for quite some time where we we don't hear that about a lot of other companies a lot of other companies are struggling to raise funds why is it why is it you're able to go out and raise funds when others are struggling to do that yeah um you know j- and just to clarify that was an extension of a round that we had raised originally um last spring okay and so we basically you know last spring we sort of looked at it and we were like we just closed this round, but it looks like the world is changing a little bit. Let's re 
let's change our plan around a little bit, right? Like let's yeah. focus even more on profitability. Let's focus a little bit less on growth. Let's really tighten our, up, up our execution. And we were successful in doing that. We had a really great year last year. We grew, you know, super fast. Um, we grew from about $105 million of premium to about $230 million of premium. That's great. We did it with an almost immediate payback on our customer acquisition costs. And we did it with like a, you know, call it greater than 15x LTV to CAC ratio. And we did it with industry beating loss ratios. And so the investors saw the execution and a couple of them were like, hey, could we put some more money in in the same terms as the last round, the one that you did earlier this year? And we were like, it kind of stinks to have an amazing year and then have people say, hey, you can have your valuation stay the same. Like, you know, we wanted the capital. We like these investors and we know that that's, you know, we know that we're actually in a good position. Like a lot of companies are having their valuation go down. Yeah. We can't raise money at all. So we were like, yes, please. This is 2023, right? It's not 2021. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is that, that money came in at the very end of 2022. But yeah, it was oh. like very solidly a different world, right? Like very it's much so. Not, not, not the world we were in two years ago. Whenever we interviewed you last time, it was three or four years ago, you introduced yourself as a, as a technology company in the insurance market. Um, something like that. Basically, you're, you're a tech company and you do insurance. Do you still look at yourself as a tech company working in the insurance market? A thousand percent. Yes. Really? Yeah. And it, I mean, why is that? Is it, is it, you put just so much focus into the technology to get the customers underwrite them, uh, underwrite them, uh, do claims is, I mean, is that right? Well, I think, I think you can have technology companies in any industry. Okay. Right. And we, we get into this thing. Like, so what I'll say is we're not a software company. We're not a pure software. We're developing a lot of software internally that we use. But people sort of got into this thing like, oh, there's three kinds of there's three kinds of tech companies. There's semiconductor companies, there's software companies, and there's social networks. Yeah. Maybe there's e-commerce companies. Maybe. Well, no. Actually, there are technology companies. There are technology companies that make jet engines. There are technology companies that make rocket ships. There are technology companies that make cars. We're a technology company and we make insurance. Um, so I think you need to separate the two things, right? There's the domain that you're applying the tech to, and then there's the technology that you're doing. I think we're we're definitely in a world now where, you know, there aren't that many opportunities to just like, oh, I'm making pure tech, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's not that big of an opportunity to make like the next database. So obviously, people are doing that sort of work, but the real the real juice is on, you know, really going after some of these, you know, more nuts and bolts part of the economies, but doing it with a very high tech approach. And so that's, that's, that's really what we're doing, you know, and, and this isn't new to insurance. Like if you go back, insurance companies were, you know, very early adopters of some of the, the previous generations of technology. Yeah. They just didn't want to change their stack. Well, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is, it is very difficult. I used to be a management consultant. I worked on a bunch of these big projects. It's like, it is undoubtedly true that it's much harder to change the tech of something that's already working, right? It's much harder to replatform than to just start over with a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. I also think that, that insurance uniquely has, I talked about this a little bit before, has really, really high barriers to entry. So you don't have a lot of newcomers. And actually, I think the, the group of newcomers that we had in that sort of like 2016 through 2020 time period, 
maybe that was a unique time period, right? Capital was really available. And there were a lot of people who had just come off of successes in other areas of fintech, right? Myself included. I had a payments business before that I sold. And they were looking at insurance. There was a lot of capital to do it. And most time periods, and even with that capital, it was super, super hard to get into this business, right? So I think part of it is like, if you're an incumbent company that's been around for 100 years, it's actually not your job to blow up your own business model. Why would you? Your business right. is great. People ask me like all the time, like, why is Allstate not going to do this? It's like, well, maybe they will. But like, if I were CEO of Allstate, I would just keep being Allstate. Because right. it's a great business. It's an amazing business. a $40 billion market cap. Mm-hmm. They're not going to blow up their own thing. It's, it's a, You need the newcomers to come in and sort of force it. Right. Yeah. Insurance, you really they'll do it. Yeah. That. They'll do it because they're forced into it. More so, not entirely, but more so than... Yeah, the competitive response. This is how capitalism works, right? Like you need competition or else capitalism doesn't really work. So you've been out this six and a half years. And like Lee just asked you, you know, do you consider yourself a technology company? And you do. But you're a lot more of an insurance guy than you were four years ago. (laughs) Is that fair to say? Oh, man, I've learned so much. And I love it. It's such an interesting domain. Isn't it an interesting business? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I learned the coolest things every day. And we've hired like some amazing people from the industry. And it's like, I just, I geek out on this stuff so hard. It is so cool. That's something I wanted to ask you about. The growth is is one thing. It's amazing. But with that, you have to support it with all these employees. And I imagine when you started this company, you thought, yeah, one day we're going to have employees, but we're going to do this insurance thing. It's going to be so cool. But then you didn't really think about it. I mean, what, what has happened? Uh, over the past four, five, six years, I imagine you've just grown at the employee level tremendously. We have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're above 500 employees now. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's cool. And and we're, you know... It takes I, a lot of people. It takes a lot of people. Lot and of I people. think people are happy to be here. I think it's a good place to work with really interesting problems. Uh, now, obviously, we're growing. Now, we've reached this point of inflection where our headcount is growing a lot less quarter to quarter than our revenue is. And that's wonderful. That's yeah, that's a great technology, right? You want, you want that, right? Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be a great business if that wasn't the case, Uh Uh, but it takes a lot of people to make this happen. You know, it takes programmers, it takes customer service people, claims people, you know, we have, we have a hundred people plus on our claims team now. That's what I wanted to ask also with this, right? People do file a, a claim, even though you don't want them to. I mean, even though you want to insure the homes that don't get damaged, that it happens. But but your your claims organization has grown. Is, is that something you always thought you would handle? Was the claims portion? Did you originally think you were going to outsource that? What did that look like? We did outsource it originally. Um, it became pretty. It became clear pretty early. This is such a core part of the customer experience and. It's part of the value chain where technology can really have a big impact. We knew we had to own it. Um, you know, so, so that was, that was, you know, when we, when we pivoted, you know, we, we had sort of started out in the businesses in MGA and then we set up our first, you know, risk bearing entity. It's a reciprocal exchange owned by our customers. Uh, we set that up in, uh, 2019 and, and, and when we did that, we took the claims in house and, uh, you know, we'll still we still hire contractors for things right. you know, outside, right? You you need to hire an engineer to look at a roof, whatever. Right. Um, 
but it's 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 all done internally in our own technology with our own people and it's i think it's the only way to do it right we we work for you guys um lee and i both work for alacrity and we yes we're, yeah, yeah we're a provider of services to you guys we we work both uh, at the desk and in the field of course a lot and ian and i have to tell you honestly i have we have enjoyed so much working with you guys you cool. and, uh, and i'm going to shout somebody out Alyssa walsh who's your uh, vendor manager who of yep. course is a primary contact in in your claims area superstar you heard it here first she's a superstar <laughs> super super she knows she knows the business really well and she's a super hard worker very organized and thorough and and but that's reflective in all the touches that we've had with Ken, I think you can feel pretty good about at least what we're seeing on the claim side. Thank you. That's it's thank you. For, that's that's really good to hear. Not uh, surprising, but really good to hear. Uh-huh. Yeah. They uh they do they do a great job. So back to um that you're more of an insurance guy now. Um I'm sure it's helping you put out a better product and to be more creative in, in, in your work. Uh, oh yeah. There, you just, you have to understand the domain, right? It's like, you can't, I mean, I, you know, we've hired people, right. Who, who know this stuff, you know, but, but ultimately even the guys who come from the tech, the people who come from the tech industry and maybe didn't have a lot of insurance experience, they've all had to learn. Uh, you know, and, and there's just no way to be in this business if you're not also an insurance expert. Like it's just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, it's fun to learn and it's, it's, it's possible to learn. You know, I, I think one thing that I'm not sure people realize is just how many incredibly satisfying career paths there are in insurance. I agree. I agree. It's there, a there wonderful really a and, and, and super stable industry as crazy as your business can be. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's hugely important to, to our whole society and how it works, right? None of this, none of this works without insurance. In fact, getting people like yourself and other technologists into the, into this area, which is area that Lee and I have worked in for a long time, for decades, myself for decades, um, has been, I think it's been a great, um, a great thing is to help move it forward, right? Because if nothing else, it's expanded the number of people who now understand that insurance is not this boring, dry, drab thing, but rather it's very vital and important and and also existing in 2023, right? Yes. I mean, one of the knocks that there used to be on it is that, you know, it was way back in time. But, but those days are quickly disappearing. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent agree. Like, like you said, I mean, you compete with travelers; they're good, great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's an industry with a lot of sophistication, you know, with a lot of really smart people. Um, you know, it's it's not one to be taken for granted at all. As we get close to wrapping up here, I do want to ask you about your your growth plans. What do you what do you have on the roadmap? More states? Are you looking at more lines, perhaps? We are. You know, our secret sauce is really in in the right the business model innovation, which is applicable to home, 
because home is a relatively simple product, but still it has a lot of retail agent involvement. Yeah. And the tech that allows us to really understand the physical properties of the home. But we do plan to sell other stuff to our customers. Okay. They're your customers. Yeah. It, it only makes sense. Other financial products, other home related products, other insurance products. In all likelihood, we will manufacture most of those. Yeah. Just because we're so adamant about making it a good customer experience. You know, so, so yeah, we're, we're looking at a bunch of other stuff that we can sell our customers. At the same time, we're expanding very deliberately and cautiously into a handful of new geographies. And then there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, a lot of hay to make in the markets that we're in right now, in the products yeah. right now, right? Like we're still tiny, tiny minnow in this incredibly huge industry. And, you know, we, we actually could grow very comfortably for a long time in our current markets in with our, with our current product set. You know, we don't really need these things to yeah, five, five states is a lot. Whenever you think about it, there's a lot of people in those key states, Florida being one of them, always looking for insurance these days, it seems like. So you, you do have great growth there. So that's exciting to hear about the possibility. There's a lots of successful insurance companies that are in two states mm-hmm. or, or a state. Or a region of one. Is that to say we might see Ken for Ken for your car at some point in time? I, yeah, it's, it is a certainty that you'll see a Ken auto insurance product at some point in time. Probably won't be doing a whole lot of marketing for it. But it'll be more something that we cross sell onto the home. I don't think it'll be a point of really significant differentiation for us. Uh-huh. Like there are some people that do auto really well with a really low cost structure, right? Um, but yeah. for us, for us to have something a really excellent product, you know, either something we're making on our own or something through a partnership that we can tack onto that home policy. That's that's just a great convenience for the customer, and it's that's what it's about. Like yeah, it, it's it's convenient for the customer. Well, I love your customer centricity. I just want to ask you, go back to something that you mentioned in the beginning about being a direct to consumer. This is something that many people have stumbled and many people have, they started that way, but then they pivoted to, to agents. Um, what do you say is your secret sauce in that regard? People always look at this industry and they think about like big data and machine learning and they say, oh, that could be used for underwriting. All the time. Absolutely. And that's true. Totally. But it actually might be an even more powerful weapon for marketing. And so, you know, one company we take a lot of inspiration from, we actually have our head of marketing came from there. One of our board members came from there. Our largest investor came from there is Capital One, the credit card company. Right, yes. And what they did with with amazing success was figure out how to tie together the risk appetite with the marketing. Those two things can really be, be you know, complementary. And so that's a big part of what we do. And so, you know, our marketing is very sophisticated. We're really marketing specifically to the customers that we know are going to be a good match for our portfolio and for our risk appetite. And that way you're much more efficient with the marketing. You're not, you know, you're not wasting money and impressions on marketing to folks who might, where you might not have a good price or they might not meet your underwriting criteria. Um, That's a huge advantage. And when you figure that out, I think until you figure that out, it's really, really hard to make it work. Um, And then when you figure it out, it creates a really, really nice virtuous cycle. Well, if uh, doubling 
your premium in a year is any validation of that, then you guys are, you guys are, are on top of it. And congratulations on that. Cause that's not easy. Thank you. Yeah, no, we're, we're really excited about, about where the business is going and, and also, you know, how far we've come. Unfortunately, we've chewed up all of our time today. It's been great. Great to have you back. Great to hear. I mean, you're like before we had the kid kin on and now we have the, the grown up kin. Teenager. We're the teenager kin now. We're not quite grown up. Okay. okay. Growing up. Growing right. up. Okay, yeah. good. Because that means we have to have you back on when you're the adult kin. Very good. But I don't know that we're going to wait another four years this time. No. Well, well, I will look forward to the next time. This was fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much, Sean. You know, Lee, it's cool that we're still doing this years later and we can have on people who've been involved in something that's growing and changing and hear about all that. It was really, it was really I, neat. I agree. I went back and I listened to his podcast as, as you did. And it was, it was several years ago before COVID, you know, everyone's going, it was, it was interesting to go back and listen to that and see how they've grown in the past four years. Um, right. How much and, the world has changed. And, and, you know, we can do that with a lot of guests. We can do that with a lot of companies because we've been fortunate enough to have some great people on over these five years or so that we've been doing this. Yeah. And it was a pleasure to have Sean back on and to hear about their success, whatever trouble. I mean, I love that he even said, you know, we almost died a few times. Right. 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 And of course, of course. I mean, they're a startup and this is, uh, just part of the program. But uh, yeah. we thank Sean a lot for coming back and being with us and all the people at Kin who helped make it happen. Thanks to our producers for what they do. And until next time. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>